Welcome friends. I'm Sarah Ann Stewart, and this is the Awesome Inside Out Podcast. Now, I'm not sure how you ended up here today, but I want to welcome you with open arms. Because while our paths may be different, I'm going to take a wild guess that we share one common desire to have a deeply fulfilling, extraordinary life. And we both know that that life starts inside of you. If you want to say goodbye to anxiety, frustration, and negative self-talk, and say hello to peace, mindfulness, gratitude, and living your best life, you've come to the right place. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into mindset shifts that give you the power to decide how you feel, not the media, not social conditioning, and not your past. Then you'll discover how to use this inspiration and this new sense of confidence to be the best you, the you that you are meant to be. So get ready. It's time to feel incredible from the inside out. Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in to another interview episode on the Awesome Inside Out podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, the absolute best way that you can always support is by sharing it on social media and with the people that you love most. It would mean the world to me for others to have access to this powerful content. So thank you so much in advance. Also, make sure to stay till the end as I'm going to offer you some applicable takeaways and a fun challenge this week to upgrade your health. All right. So for my entire life, I personally have struggled with anxiety. And although I was raised by holistic parents and learned meditation as a child, ironically, my anxiety and bouts of depression have been an on-again, off-again experience for me. To put it simply, I haven't found a cure to completely wash it all away but I found tools to help me manage it so that I can live an enjoyable, happy life filled with so many blessings. And so today I'm excited to dive deep into this challenging conversation on anxiety, depression, trauma, and how we can move through it with Tana Amen. Tana is a New York Times bestselling author, neurosurgical ICU trauma nurse, highly respected health and fitness expert, cancer survivor, and so much more. Tana's fresh approach and energetic presence has made her a nationally renowned speaker and an in-demand media guest, as she's appeared on TV shows including The Doctors, The Today Show, and Good Day New York. After a terrifying childhood of abandonment and abuse and battles with cancer and depression, Tana found herself as a single working mother suffering in silence from an eating disorder. In time, Tana discovered her courage and strength to face her past and heal so that she could create a beautiful future. Tana shares her own personal story of resilience in her newest book, The Relentless Courage of a Sacred Child. And so as I've worked with clients over the past year, I've seen an increase in anxiety and overwhelm more than ever before. And I'm not alone in this. Depression in the U.S. was at an epidemic level before the pandemic. But once the quarantine period began, it jumped to 28% of the population, meaning one in four people are suffering. If you are here, you are not alone. And I encourage you to step into an empowered place to get the support to move through it. And so for anyone looking for courage, hope, and resilience to heal your past trauma or to help support with what you're currently going through, you don't want to miss this powerful episode. So grab a tea or a coffee, a notebook, a pen, and let's dive in now. Hi, Tana. Welcome to the Awesome Inside Out show. Thank you so much for being here. I am so grateful that you are giving us your time and your incredible wisdom today. Thank you so much, Sarah. 
And so I know we recently met and connected, but just in the short period of time that I've been following you, I have loved discovering just your incredible approach to really complex topics such as trauma, depression, and mental health. And as I was diving deeper into your story, I discovered all the incredible work that you've done from being the vice president of the Amen Clinic, being a neurosurgical ICU trauma nurse, a New York best-selling author. I was literally like the list was going and going and I was just in <laughs> awe of all the things you've accomplished. But what absolutely blew me away, which I was sharing right when we got on this call, was that you're now open and beginning to really get out there and share your own personal story of resilience. And I just think it's so incredible that you're opening up in this newest book that just came out called The Relentless Courage of a Sacred Child. And so I would love to start there. What prompted you to be inspired at this point in your life to write this memoir? And yeah, if you could just start with a little bit about your personal story, because I think it's going to absolutely blow and I know it's going to blow the listeners away. Thank you so much. So I just want to sort of show the cover. I love the cover. Um, it's the relentless courage of a scared child. And I think it's, you know, one of the things that with the work we do, there are a lot of people like I, I, I struggled with whether or not to write this story because I thought, you know, my story is not that unique. Why would I write this? Like so many people have struggled with this. And my husband, you know, his, his point was, that's right. A lot of people struggle with some of the things you struggled with. That's why you should write Absolutely. the story. And I didn't really want to write it. It took me a while to, to decide. There's a difference between deciding to get help and healing and deciding to, that you need to share your story with the world. Those are two very different things. And you know that when you write your story, especially in this day, when everyone's on the internet, you're going to get criticized. So you need to know that that's going to happen. And I, I just, it took me time to decide, okay, I'm going to do this. And what really encouraged me to do it was the little bit that I had shared because of what we do with health and wellness and nutrition. I've written cookbooks. When people would hear the small amounts and they would say, oh, you know, your story encourages me. If you can do it, I can do it. And I thought, you know what? Maybe it's worth being vulnerable. Maybe it's worth me sharing some of the deeper things because people don't really know the hard stuff yet. Absolutely. And if they did, would that encourage them more? Would they not feel so alone? And so that's really when I decided to write it. That's incredible. And I would love to talk a little bit about the childhood trauma and the eating disorders and the cancer and just what you've been through, because it's literally one thing after next. And I, I was hearing about it and watching you speak about it almost, it was literally like tears coming down my face, but then also noticing in me a parallel with you know, similar experiences as a child and how much work it's actually been to heal that trauma. And what I love about your story is that you do talk about the time and the commitment and the effort to, to really go into childhood trauma and why it's so important to creating resilience. You know, it's, it's so interesting. So they, they say that movies are their life with the boring parts taken out. <laughs> so, you know, so that's kind of what a memoir is. It's life yeah. with the boring parts taken out. Like it's a collection of stories to help for with a purpose, right? So when someone grows up in chaos, when they grow up in trauma, I think we have a tendency to numb ourselves. Yeah. And so when people keep saying, oh, you've been through so much, most of us tend to step back and go, not, not really. I mean, it's just what we know. Right. And so a lot of people I know that are listening right now probably have that response. They're like, yeah, but so what? I mean, don't, doesn't everybody or, you know, what else is there? I mean, I, we just don't know the difference. So we tend to have this, like this numbed effect to it, but what ends up happening is they stack those stressors stack. And after a while they begin to stack because when you grow up in trauma, you don't know, 
you don't even realize what's normal. Like what is normal, right? It's the setting on a dryer. I mean, normal really has little to do with life at that point. And you begin to your own behavior. So when you're little, things happen to you. As you get older, your own behavior and your own decisions and your own choices begin to reflect sort of the bad things that happened in your life when you were younger. And so that chaos perpetuates itself and you begin to pass it on to the next generation. And so it starts to look really crazy in our lives. It starts to look like a book. (laughs) That's what (laughs) happens. You know, so many of us have crazy stories, but we don't really think of it that way because it's just what we lived through. Yeah. It's, it's so true. And I, what I was realizing was that even when I left home, the chaos continued because my mind went with me. So it it doesn't matter if I was in New York city in Chicago, in Florida, in California, it didn't matter if I was literally in Australia on the other side of the world, there was this energy of chaos that I kept attracting and kept bringing into my life. And until I went and did the internal work and had the courage to confront the truth of what had happened and say, I no longer want to live in this experience anymore, was I able to start shifting things pretty slowly. And I always tell people it wasn't an overnight thing where all of a sudden I was no. manifesting this life that a lot of people are seeing on Instagram. I was like, it was many, many years and pretty much a decade in the works. And so, and yet I'm still doing that internal work now. So I think of it like exercise. You don't go work out and get in shape. Mm -hmm. Like you have to do it daily. Mm -hmm. Just like forgiveness is a daily exercise. It's not like a feeling. It's not something you, you like, Oh, I don't feel forgiving. Therefore I'm not going to forget. No, it's something you practice. You practice it daily. Yes. You know, it's, it's, you do feel like it. You exercise when you don't feel like it. It's, it becomes part of who you are because it's an exercise you do. That's how it becomes part of who you are. Healing is an exercise you do. It becomes part of who you are because you do it on a regular basis. It's, we have to get over this idea that it's going to be like two days to, you know, (laughs) complete wholeness or six weeks to complete wholeness. It has to become a part of your normal daily habits. Exactly. Exactly. And I think culturally, because we're so conditioned by the quick fix and, you know, a lot of these marketing tactics, which yes, there are things that can help us instantly feel better, of course, Mm -hmm. but in order to, create new habitual states of being and new behaviors, it is going to take a little bit more time. Um, yeah. I would love to talk a little bit more about the time of your life where you had disordered eating and you had an eating disorder and what mm-hmm. that looked like to overcome it. Because there's so so many women that I hear from that are like, this is going to be my life forever. And just healing, hearing your journey and how you talk about now, how health is about abundance, not deprivation. I can see this incredible shift, right? In consciousness, awareness, your relationship to food, your relationship to movement, your relationship just to the way of being. And so Mm -hmm. I would love to hear how that process looked for you and maybe for the listeners who are struggling with this topic, maybe some, some words of wisdom for them. You know, that part of the book was a really hard part for me to write because getting to the point of even having the, where the eating disorder emerged, so much happened up to that point. And I think, you know, it's really important for people to understand. And I, and I know your listeners probably, if they're struggling with this, probably do understand it, but it's really important to understand that eating disorders aren't one thing. They're not this easily packaged thing for, for everybody. It's, it, it shows up differently for everybody. It's not always about body dysmorphia. Sometimes it is. It's not always about, you know, thinking that you're fat or thinking that you're skinny or thinking that it's it's very different for everybody. Not everyone that has an eating disorder is overweight. Not everybody that has an eating disorder is too skinny. So you have to really understand that it's so different for everybody. 
And we have this tendency to shame people. And that's why people don't speak up. It's why they don't get help. At the time that I had an eating disorder, you know, people thought my life was perfect. You know, I was in good shape. I was never overweight. I, you know, was valued for my body. So that was, I was valued for my appearance. So that, that gets tricky. That gets really tricky because then I even felt guilty. It's like, what right do I have to hate myself? What right do I have to struggle with this? So then I, I would dig deeper into it. I can't tell anyone because they think I'm shallow. They think I'm, so all these labels, all these feelings start coming out, but it emerged to begin with because of a lack of control. I mean, my life was so out of control. Mm-hmm. I mean, from my, all of my earliest childhood memories, when I, when you read my book were chaotic, they were traumatic. You know, I, I remember almost drowning when I was two, my uncle being murdered when I was four because my other uncle was a heroin addict. So he died in a drug deal gone wrong. My mother, you know, was working three jobs. She was never home. I was a latchkey kid. So crazy stuff happened being, there was sexual trauma. My stepdad Mm -hmm. climbing in bed with me. So there was just, I never felt like I could get stability. I could never, I never felt like things were predictable or safe. There was never safety. And I think the eating disorder emerged because of that. It was like, I was just scrambling for some sort of control. And I felt this it was almost like an anxiety. It was like a pressure relief, like this release. And that's, that's how my eating disorder emerged. And I figured out how to control it with exercise, which, you know, was better probably for my body to some degree, but it was just another form of purging. So I would overexercise. It was another form of purging. I put a bandaid over a bullet hole and just dealt with that for years. But then about every eight to 10 years or so, it would pop up again. Whenever my life was out of control and my my coping mechanism, which was exercise, extreme exercise, whenever that was sort of taken from me. So it emerged again. So it emerged in my teens. And then in my twenties, when I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and I got really sick and sunk into a wicked depression, um, it emerged again. Wow. And so, cause now I couldn't exercise. Mm. And so that it emerged again I'd get it back under control. I'd start exercising again. Life would get back on track. Um, something crazy would happen. You know, I went through a really terrible divorce and it came back again. And I thought, this is crazy. This is a childhood disorder. This shouldn't happen. This doesn't happen to adults who, by the way, were very successful. I was successful by all intents and purposes. If you looked at my life again, so I, I sort of covered my flaws, if you will, with perfectionism. If I accomplish enough, if I'm fit enough, if I'm, you know, whatever the labels were, just stack them. And I thought, if I do all of these things well enough, people won't see how messed up I am. And then it would just emerge mm-hmm. out of nowhere and just take me, catch me by surprise because I never really took the time to heal. I just kept putting band-aids on. I'm so thankful you shared that because that, that was so much of my life and that's been so much of my life. And I've noticed even with my eating disorder, when I went to get my implants out, my breast implants out, I had to do this whole healing process because I started to go down that road again where it, mm-hmm. I was like the whole disconnect from my body and being unhappy with my body and hating my body, like those feelings started to emerge again. And then going through IVF and like not being able to work out and, you know, having your body completely transform, you know, started to emerge again. The difference was, was that now I had the tools and I, yeah, I had the tools and that's the difference is, is that, you know, things might come back and feelings might come back and stories may come back and your, your beliefs cycles may come back. And yet if you have the tools and you continue to do the work every time and you take that time, like you said, to heal the root of it, then going throughout your life, moving forward, then I truly believe that you're just, you're managing it much differently, which I think is so beautiful. 
You know, you said something really important. And this is one thing when I'm, when I'm coaching people, I'm talking to people, it's like, are you praying for life to be easy or are you praying for the skill to be able to handle adversity? Mm -hmm. And that's the really important thing, especially if you've struggled with chaos as a child, trauma as a child, eating disorders, whatever it is, depression. I mean, I had, I was so depressed at one point. I just kept praying for God to let me die. There was no point. I was wasting oxygen on the planet. If you've been through those times like that, and eating disorders are long-term. They're not an easy, that's not going to be a short-term thing. But if you learn skill, then you learn something. If you, if you have these tools, you now can handle the things as they come up in your life. You now have a way to manage when those struggles appear again, because they're going to appear. The difference is when I finally decided to get help, when I finally decided to suck up the shame, because I was so, there was so much shame around it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, this can't, be real. This can't be right. This is an adolescent disorder. I'm successful. I graduated top of my class. I'm fit. I've been valued for my body. I am this. I am that. I had all this list of reasons why I couldn't tell anyone, Mm. could not tell anyone this awful thing about me, which by the way, I don't care if you're overweight, if you're underweight, it doesn't matter. You've got that list. Your list is just a little different than mine, but we all like, really, there's no original thoughts. Our thoughts are sort of the same. They're just, they're messed up thoughts. <laughs> so, so welcome to the club. But we go and when you finally, when I decided to go get help finally for the first time, it, it was like popping this boil. It's just this ugliness came out, all this shame, all this, you know, just ugly stuff came out. And then there was just this relief. But there's a difference between being healed and being cured, like feeling whole and being cured. I, I know that there's not a cure for this, but there is wholeness. Mm. There is this sense of being healed, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can heal from a broken bone, yep. but you know, you had a broken bone. The scar is there, but the difference is, is you know what to do. Now I've got these tools. Yep. And so life is going to always throw you those curveballs. You just mentioned one, getting your implants taken out. Yep. So for me, it's menopause. <laughs> I had a hysterectomy. My body does, does not look the same. It like happened overnight. You know, your body doesn't look the same. And then now this hormonal shift, it's like, I, my body doesn't look the same. But the minute, now the difference is I recognize the second I wake up and I'm like, the second my mind goes to look at you, your body doesn't look the same. It's like, and that's okay. That means what? What does that mean to you? Right. And then I'll then I will start to address what those thoughts and feelings mean to me, and I'll begin to turn it around. Absolutely. It's like that's not my value. I, I'm much more than the than the sum of my accomplishments, than the what my body looks like, and I'll begin to like break it down. But you got to catch it fast, and having those tools will make it possible for you to deal with each of those curveballs as they come, because that's not going to change. Yeah, you're going to get those curveballs all through life. Absolutely. And and there's an illusion in thinking that once we get to this pedestal peak, like we see in the marketing tactics, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I've hit, I've hit this pedestal. And we look up to these people and, and we forget that everyone is going through everyone's challenge. going through it. You know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna reach a certain age, a certain abundance, a certain financial no. level, a certain, you know, even level in your company, and then there's no problems after that. It's no. It's, it's always and by the way, just because if you when you're like when you're scrolling through Instagram, I've 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 people leave me these messages sometimes. It's like, well, if I had a figure like yours or if I was at your weight, I wouldn't feel the way I feel. Oh, you would. You mm-hmm. would feel just the way you feel. Mm-hmm. If your weight is not going to make a difference, mm-hmm. your size two isn't going to make a difference. Your the wrinkles on your face aren't going to make a difference if you don't change and you don't heal what's happening on the inside. Because Absolutely. I can tell you, I can tell you firsthand just at the clinics, you know, we have Amen clinics. We see some of, we see some of the most A-list celebrities 
you can name. Mm-hmm. You see them in the papers all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, a couple of them that only I can only mention them because they have mentioned us, Cyrus, Justin Bieber, but there's a whole list of these kids. I've never met a group of people who had the worst thoughts about themselves mm. ever. So if you think that if you have more money, you have less wrinkles, you're thinner, you're more successful, you're more famous. No, it's not going to matter. This is what has to change. Absolutely. And I love that you referenced that because I even remember I had the, like that goal weight. And I was like, once I reach that weight, I'll be happy. And I remember the day I got on the scale and I was like, nothing has changed. Now I have to worry about maintaining it or sustaining it, or yep. I have to, you yep. know, and when I was still going out and meeting people, I was still insecure. And then from the weight, it shifted to like, my nose is a problem. And then my cellulite's a problem. Like yep. also the it addiction, will always be something. Also, the, yeah, the addiction to the problem and the problem thinking will shift from one thing to the next. And that's why when people ask me, you know, should, should I get implants? I say, absolutely. If that feels in alignment with your self-love, but also let's, let's do the inner work first, because if you get the implant and it's not from a place of self-love and then you go and need something else to get the hit and then something else to get the hit, you're always going to be chasing the hit versus making the decision because it's completely in alignment. Yeah. It's less about the implants. I agree with you. Yeah, It's less about, it's, it's, I don't have an opinion on plastic surgery. I have an opinion on why are you doing it? Absolutely. Like what is the, what is the reason behind it? Absolutely. And I think that that is, that is the internal work to do. So if it's for you versus your partner, if it's for you versus your spouse, is it for you versus an industry? If it's an alignment, that's a very different motive than if it's specifically for something external because you want your partner to love you. So then you can be happy because that never, yeah, that never ends up (laughs) going well because (laughs) then we recognize it and then we feel worse about ourselves and then we have to do the internal work anyway. So for someone who is maybe hearing this conversation and they're like, this sounds incredible, but I'm terrified of starting this work. I'm, I'm terrified of stepping into dealing with my childhood trauma. It feels like I'm opening right that can of worms. I'm opening mm. this big, this big book of endless uh, memories and thoughts and feelings and emotions and anger and fear. What are some words of advice and, and steps that you took to begin this process that that might mitigate some of that fear. Cause I know that the initial call, even to the first therapist can feel so overwhelming for people. I mean, I think the first thing to remember is you're in control. Yes. You're opening a door to healing, but it's not like you can't close the door. So, I mean, if you decided I'm done healing, I want to feel miserable for the rest of my life. You can do that. You can shut the door. Right. Um, and I'm not going to lie. It's not like you're not going to have days where there were times where it's like, it got a little worse before it got better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like I didn't have days where it's like, oh, okay, this is this is a little rough remembering some of this stuff, like mm-hmm. bringing it back up, remembering it, it's not the right word, bringing it back up. Right. It's like, it's not like it wasn't rough at times, but it doesn't stay there. It goes you, like, now you get to bring it full circle. And what I love is you get to replace those awful memories with something more empowering. You get to actually go back to like, that's what I love. I did a, I did a form of therapy called EMDR, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So you reprocess those unpro or the, like these traumatic experiences you had when you were young and they sort of get stuck in the brain. And so you reprocess it and you get to sort of replace it with a more empowering thought. What do you want to be now? Like what, how do you want to see it now? How do you want to move forward? The last thing I think most people would call me if they knew me as weak, you know, or timid or anything like that, but I've done a lot of work to get to that place. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not, I mean, I, I feel very much in control of who I am. You're not you're not stuck once you open that door. 
So just remember that you are in control. Mm-hmm. You don't have to keep going forward if you don't want to, but I would, I would venture to bet you're going to want to. Absolutely. So, and I think the thing I focused on was I didn't want to continue the generational pain. Mm. So this went on in my family, just like it does in many families for generations. And it needed to stop with me. I did not want to pass on to my daughter some of the stuff that had been passed on to me. It was time to end it. Mm. Yeah, I love that because sometimes it is hard to motivate ourselves for ourselves. But even my husband and I, we've been in this discussion recently where we just said, these patterns have to stop between us because our kids will see this. Yeah. And then our kids will become this. And so if we we need to do the healing for them. And that's Absolutely. been you know, a driving factor in in our weekly therapy or solo sessions or other life coaching. The, the things that we're resistant to get on every week, we don't want to hit the Zoom, the Zoom call, but we do it because there is that motivation outside of ourselves. And then also internally, you know, there is this peace and this awe that comes from it where you just wake up one day and you realize, oh, wow, I'm not triggered. I'm not reacting to my partner the same way. I'm not in the same experience that I'm in. And wow, I, this this is shifted internally in me. And it, it's like a light has gone off that you're not creating the same traumatic sort of, I would say, energy every single day over and over and over again. Well, so. I love the word you just used, creating. So I know, and I know I'm going to get some grief for this, <laughs> but my favorite word is responsibility. Mm. So it was one of the words that was taught to me that pulled me out of, of really one of the darkest times in my life. So my uncle, who was the heroin addict, is one of the ones who became my mentor later. So talk about someone who carried a burden. He was in, not just in his mind. He actually, in reality, was responsible for getting my other uncle murdered. So that he carried that for a long time. That was really hard for him. But when he finally did get clean, he became this great guy. He became you know, a mentor. He started teaching self-help seminars. So it was odd to have him be the one who was my mentor. I was terrified of him when I was young. Mm-hmm. And so he became my mentor much later when I was in a very dark place. And so he, he didn't really coddle me and it surprised me. And he said, you know, he said, so how much responsibility are you willing to take? And I'm like, how do I take responsibility for cancer? Give me a break. Like, that's not my idea of a good time. Yeah. Um, you know, like depression, cancer, like all these things that had happened to me, sexual abuse, like, you know, help me out with this. He, and he looked at me and he said, I didn't ask you to take the blame. He said, I asked you how much responsibility you were willing to take, the ability to respond. I literally was like, it was like, drop the mic. It was like one of those moments. It changed the trajectory of my life. That word, that, that one shift, ability to respond. And he said, if you take 50% responsibility, then someone or something else still has the other 50%. If you take 100% responsibility, not blame, you take 100% responsibility, then you have full control over what can happen with the outcome. And it's like, wow. it's, an, it's up to you. And I was just like, wow. And literally it was a switch moment for me. It really changed just about everything. And the rest of my life changed very quickly after that, I might add, because one of the hallmark signs of self-defeating behavior is blame, is blaming yeah. someone or something else for where your life is at. Bad things happen to most of us. But continuing to dwell and blame and not move forward and figure out an opportunity. So now the difference is rather than my language being like, why did that happen to me? My language now will be, what is the opportunity in this? It happened. There's nothing I can do about that. Right. But what's the opportunity? It's just a shift in language. 
Absolutely. And, and what I love that you talk quite a bit about is in that healing process, you create the resilience to move forward towards the next thing. I remember my father was very similar in that. I was in my twenties and I was very, very depressed and would not get out of bed and very sick at that time. And he was just like, I'm not going to have compassion for you and keep paying your bills. Like you have to get out of bed and you need to like get up and start doing things. And from there, it led me to dog sitting for this woman who then I watched one of her tapes that was in her (laughs) VCR recorder. And it was about the secret and the law of attraction. And, you know, and, and although I don't believe everything in that movie, it was very much in alignment with, you need to take responsibility yeah. and start the actionable steps to do the thing if you want to create a life for yourself. And so mm-hmm. I'm absolutely in agreement of that. And I and I look at it like you were sharing as what is the opportunity of the lesson and how does it make me stronger so that I can mm-hmm. deal with things in the future where I can then move through these things with more grace and ease. So I'm no longer confronting them with with the same sort of energy or pushback. And I'm, yeah, I just, I I absolutely love that. I'm curious in terms of the last year, because the last year has been really challenging for so many people. Were there any new mental or physical habits that you adopted during this time of COVID and the pandemic or anything that you're doing to continue to build the the resilience within yourself and kind of stay on top of it instead of going, you know, going into the thoughts and the fears and the uncertainties? Yeah. So there's a few, and I want to tell you a funny story really quickly if I can. So I actually do have some great um, habits that I practice myself, especially Mm -hmm. through this last year. This last year was just hard for everybody. And I think, you know, my husband and I actually did really well together, but being in the house with all the kids and working and all of our assistants, it's just (laughs) a challenging year, right? It's just a busy time. Um, it's, and it's just hard for people to be at home with their kids sometimes, or for, you know, some people being alone is hard, whatever your challenges are, it, it brought them out. So when it first started, I was like on top of it. I'm like, I'm going to like all my supplements. I'm working out. I'm going to work out more <laughs> because I want, I don't, I want to keep my immune system boosted. And I'm like mm-hmm. doing all this stuff. And pretty soon I started to find myself like, it's like giving into what was happening around me. Right. I know I practice karate. Like I have a black belt in Taekwondo. That's and a second black belt in <laughs> yeah. So I love like martial arts. Like I'm a pretty intense person, mm-hmm. but I obviously wasn't practicing martial arts during this time. <laughs> so pretty soon I'm watching Netflix and walking on my treadmill and, you know, like I'm still moving, Mm -hmm. but I'm not moving the same. It's not the same as punching big padded guys. Right. Right. So it's a very different type of movement. And so I found myself just getting sort of black, black, just like not moving that much. And I have a friend who is a SWAT officer and I'm talking to him one day and he's like, I was telling him, I'm like, yeah, I just don't quite feel the same, you know, this COVID thing, like I'm just over it. And and I made the mistake of saying I was a middle-aged mom. I go, I just, you know, maybe it's just because I'm a middle-aged mom. He's like, that is nonsense. He just, he just didn't let me get away with it. He goes, that is nonsense. He goes, your problem is not that you're a middle-aged mom. It's that you're thinking like a middle-aged mom. You're talking Mm -hmm. like a middle-aged mom. Mm -hmm. He goes, your problem is you're adapting to your environment. And this was huge. This was just huge. He said, when you practice karate, you had to adapt to the intensity of the environment. Now you are adapting to fuzzy socks and Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) He's absolutely right. One of the fastest ways to change your, this is one of my habits and I had it on my habit list, but I'd kind of gotten away from it. One of the fastest ways to change your mood is to change your physiology. Mm. Don't adapt to your environment. So I went outside and started, you know, put my earbuds in, cranked up my rock music and took off for a run. Like, it's like, no, if you move slow, you will feel slow. 
So you've got to like change your physiology. That's one of them. So that's one of the habits. Another one is shut off the news. Absolutely. Shut off the news. Know what the headlines are. Do not listen to the, you know, just the disaster mongering and the, it, it does that for a reason. The news is designed to force you to focus on negativity because our brains are hardwired. Biologically, we're hardwired to pay attention to what is frightening, what is threatening. They know that. So turn off the news, pray and meditate. That's a huge one. Praying and meditating. Studies actually show that when you pray and meditate, it changes your brain chemistry to actually change every thought you have, you know, changes your chemistry. And that's a really important one. And then there's positivity bias training. So in addition to shutting off the news and praying and meditating, actually focusing on, because we are hardwired to notice what's negative, Mm -hmm. but you can rewire your brain. If you just ask yourself a simple question in the morning, why is today going to be a great day? If you just start off with that, you can do your gratitude list. All that's great. But asking yourself, why is today going to be a great day? Your brain doesn't have a sense of humor. It's going to try to figure (laughs) out. It's going to try and answer the question you ask it. Yeah. Right. It's going to look for why today is going to be a great day. Absolutely. And those are just some simple habits. But get up and move and move with intensity. Move with purpose. Your physiology matters. Absolutely. And I love that you're referencing that our mind basically scans whatever it is that we're looking for and it finds what you tell it the evidence, right? Of exactly what you're searching for. And so if you're in that depressed state of the news, you're gonna go on your Instagram and you're gonna find more of that. Like if I tell you, like how many blue cars did you see on the way here? You wouldn't have seen any, but from that, the rest of the day, you're going to notice blue cars. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's the way our brains work. You may not have seen any, but now you're going to notice them for the rest of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so important. And I think that that's why even starting your day and I think ending your day too, because I realize at the end of my day, I always do forgiveness and and a very clear forgiveness practice to clear the energy for the next day so that I can wake up in that state of gratitude and say, everything from yesterday is done and I've let go of it and I've forgiven myself for what I did and didn't do. And now I'm moving forward so that I can start this day with a new outlook and a new intention. So that way I bring those intentions in versus carrying that negative energy. Absolutely. Over to the we actually day. do it as a family. So we go around um, at dinner and we're like, what went well for you today? Amazing. And we like, we ask the kids, what's the best part of your day? What was the best part of your day today? Absolutely. So it just forces them to like, think of something that went well. Mm. That's so incredible. It. Yeah. It's so incredible. And, you know, we, we forget that these very little things make such a massive difference and that's, it's you know, the what, little things. That absolutely. Matter. Absolutely. And that's what I I really want the listeners to hear is that it doesn't have to always be these like (laughs) sitting in in therapy for hours and crying our eyes out and, you know, for endless, endless months on end. It can be these little habits that we adapt. And then all of a sudden our life looks very different while we're doing the internal work, of course, but it definitely doesn't have to be. Yeah. It's it's the time. I love that you said that because it's the times in between therapy. You can go to therapy once a week or even twice a week, but what are you doing for all the time in between? Mm -hmm. That's what really matters is like, what are you doing for all of those times in between? You got to be developing the daily habits. Absolutely. Because I know people who spend their life in therapy and they they don't make a change. They don't make a difference. Mm -hmm. I know people who will spend a few months in therapy and they're done because they've really optimized and maximized and changed their daily habits. Yeah. And I think once we have those aha moments of, oh my gosh, I'm living that way based on that pattern from my childhood, it's actually having the courage to step into a new way of being because 
then we have to change who we are and we have to change our identity and we have to step into maybe a more worthy human or a more confident person or someone who loves themselves. And what does that look like if we've been living this other way? And that's where I also think sometimes we get stuck is, okay, who will I be and who will I become if I let go of this part of myself that I've been holding on to? Yeah, that's a really good point. Secondary gain is a big thing. Mm. So secondary, like what's the secondary gain to staying sick? What's the secondary gain to staying depressed? And that really triggers people sometimes when we point that Absolutely. out. Absolutely. But I've got family members who are still stuck. And, and in spite of being given every opportunity, in spite of being given the best medical care, in spite of being given financial opportunities, they just can't, won't do it, don't want to. And when I have brought this up, when they're honest, <laughs> I finally broke through to one of them and, and she she just started crying. And she goes, because I don't know who I am without my illness. I don't know yep. what I will do. I don't know how to be without my illness. Yep. She just, I mean, at least that's honest. Yeah. Yeah. Now you can go somewhere from that. Absolutely. It's it's you know? just about being a hundred percent honest with ourselves of where we are instead of being the avoidance and and the blame of blaming everyone else when we are given those opportunities. And I I have a few family members that I have I have man, it's been hard. I've tried everything. And yet I've had to come to acceptance that they're not willing to step into this new identity. Nope, exactly. Yet. Sometimes the disease wins yep. and there's not much you can do because people have, to, you can't drag people across the finish line. Mm-hmm. Behavior is complicated. It's easy to call people bad. It's harder to ask why. Mm-hmm. That's a lot about what the theme in my book is. It's a, I mean, there's a lot in there about, because, you know, when you come from a chaotic and traumatic background, there's a lot of complicated family dynamics. Absolutely. And so there's a lot about forgiveness in there, but there's a lot about complicated behavior. And it's easy for us. I mean, for me, it's, I called it boundaries for a long time. What it wasn't, it was disconnecting. Mm. It was disconnecting. Now I understand the difference between boundaries and disconnecting. There are some people that I, that I do need to draw boundaries and it's like, I love you and I will miss you (laughs) because some of those boundaries need to be hard boundaries because they can't respect your boundaries. But there is a difference between just like, I'm never talking to you again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's coming from a place of anger and hatred versus Absolutely. I do love you. I genuinely love you. And I really want you to do well, mm-hmm. but you're not safe for me. Mm-hmm. You're not safe for my family. And the other piece to this, which I noticed in myself was as I was breaking these generational curses and trauma and wounding and even, you know, addiction and poverty and things like that, I noticed that I was scared of leaving them behind. And so Mm -hmm. as I was stepping into my own self-worth and self-love and self-confidence, there was this push and pull that I was feeling. It was almost like a tennis match in my head of like, okay, well, who will I be when I'm not connected to the family dynamics? And Mm -hmm. can I still be loved in that family dynamics if I'm living a very different way? And so that's been something I've also had to work through. And so if you're in that place where you're maybe listening and you're in a family dynamic and you're ready to break free of it, that absolutely does not mean that everyone has to come along with you. That's not your responsibility. You know, you get to do it on your own time. Oh, and see, and so you and I, are, you and I came from different places then, because yeah. my my issue was I was like, I can't deal with these crazy people. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> done with all this craziness. Not my monkey. Not my circus. And if I'm going to get well, they need to go away. Mm. And so I disconnected. I wow. was like, bye bye. You need to go away. And so my challenge, the challenge for me. Mm-hmm. And it was my, um, part of my healing process was wow. how do I reconnect and still have healthy boundaries? How do I reconnect and still, and, and 
allow myself to be vulnerable enough to be attached to some of these people, but with healthy boundaries. That for me was the challenge. And one of the big challenges for me, it's it's actually the biggest theme in my book was, you know, sometimes I, I felt like God was calling me back. Like I knew I had to get reattached and involved with a couple of my family members for a big reason. Like for example, my sister who was an addict, my nieces went into foster care. So I'm like, I know that God's calling me back to like do this thing. And I don't want to, I don't want to get involved with my sister. I know what I'm, I know what I'm getting involved with. And I know a lot of people who don't want to get involved with family like that. But what about when God is like, I I realized God was calling me back to do a couple of these things. Wow. And I realized after I did it, it's like, wow, it was more healing for me than it was for them. So the help was for them, but the healing was for me. And I almost robbed myself of those opportunities. Yeah. So so really powerful thing. That's so beautiful. And I'm curious in terms of writing your book, was the bringing up of the past, was there that process as well of rehealing and going through any of the, the old stories and having to get support around that and help as well? Some of it was hard. Yeah. Some of it was really hard. A lot of it I've already done the healing on, but it's not like you'd like to like bring it all up again. A hundred percent. But the best thing was it was also very healing from the standpoint of, and I, I highly recommend people do this, write your story, but write it from an adult's perspective. Cause a lot of these traumas happened when we were kids. Mm. So write it from an adult's perspective and get clarity. So get clarification because when I had to go back and when you're writing a book, I mean, there's, there are legal aspects to writing a memoir. <laughs> so you have to, like the people in my book are mostly alive. Mm-hmm. So I had to get clarification. I had to interview my mom, my mm-hmm. uncle, my sisters had to approve it, you know, those types of things. So I had to like get their perspective. And when you're not just writing it from the perspective of a four-year-old, but you're getting the adult perspective, why did they do what they did? And now you're getting a more well-rounded version of it. And it's very eye-opening. It's very healing. And it allows you to move on and process it as an adult. And I, I just can't tell you how freeing that is. It's incredible. And I, I heard at, um, I believe it was a Tony Robbins conference, that our memories shift every time we go back and we think about them again and relive them. So your memories are always valid, but they're not always accurate. Accurate, right? So, Right. So that's why that's what was so healing for me, because what was really fascinating to me is some of the stuff that I had memories of were much worse than I remembered them. Mm. But to hear why, to hear the other person's perspective, at least gave me clarity. It's like, oh, okay, I can. That was terrible. But I at least understand why they did what they did. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of them were not what I thought they were. Does that make sense? Like, it's like, oh, yeah, no. As the four year old, I remember, you know, being left alone and being terrified and nobody was home and I was two, right? That's where I was two and a half. But when you hear the whole story around it, it wasn't like they intentionally left me alone. So knowing all the details around it are important. Mm -hmm. It's important Mm -hmm. to get all the details and understand the specifics. Mm -hmm. It's not like they were all out smoking crack and they just decided to leave me. So it's, it's really important to understand the context. Mm -hmm. So your memories are always valid, but they're not always completely accurate. Mm -hmm. You need to understand what happened with all of it. Absolutely. The context. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's so incredible. And and just to remind yourself in every moment, the way that you're relating to the memory, you know, can you heal from that perspective, but then can you go back and actually see yourself in the other human's experience and have compassion and understanding for 
maybe why they were suffering at that time. Or, and also what I've done, which has been really healing, was going back to my parents and saying, what were you feeling in those moments? Like, right. how did you do this? And, and this was so hurtful to me. And starting that dialogue of really understanding their perspective and that they were doing the absolute best that they could with what they had. Oh, I love that. Because my mom was a 16-year-old runaway. She mm-hmm. ran away from home. She never finished high school. She worked three jobs to put food on the table. And I, if you if you read my book, you're going to be like, where was her mom? Mm-hmm. Why was someone not there protecting her? But when I talked to my mom, my mom and I are very close. By the way, she actually retired very wealthy. She's an incredible, she is just an incredible, like I got her grit. I inherited her grit. So that was really great. But when I talked to her, we had you know a lot of in-depth discussions because when she knew this book was coming out, she's like, do I really want this coming out? You know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, mom, it's, this is going to help a lot of people. But we talked about it and she just started crying. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Tana, I could not let you grow up in the environment I grew up in. I had to work. I had to work hard and earn enough. But like for her, her values were, I needed to be able to provide financially for you and make sure that you didn't grow up like I did. I had to make sure you were able to have, you know, a, a nice environment, which I didn't when I was young, but I did later. So if you understand why she left me alone, if you understand where, what her resources were, what her skill level was, you know, then it begins to make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we can also understand that often the motive is from a place of love, but yeah, that's not the way that we interpret it. Or the motive might be from their lack of self-love or their lack of self-worth or their lack of- Or their lack of skills. Skills, right. Or how they were raised and that they're really imprinted with a certain belief system, a way of being that then gets passed on to the way that they parent or the way that they raise us. And, and it's not a direct reflection of often even the love that they, they have for us. And that's mm-hmm. what's become very apparent with my mom who suffered from postpartum depression and fell victim of a system. And you know, for years, I blamed myself for being born. And then when I look back and recognize the healing that can take place from our dialogue and understanding how she was really suffering from a medical system that didn't know how to support her. That's not her fault, nor was it mine. And so we've been able to do a lot of work and heal through that, but it takes the courage to have those conversations. And if the other person isn't ready yet, we can at least do it on ourselves. Absolutely. So absolutely. Let's, I'm happy for both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited for the listeners to hear hear more about your work in terms of just where they can find you. You have so many videos online. I'm so excited for them to get your book. You also have another New York Times bestseller. So I'm curious for for all of those listening, where's the best place for people to find you? I know we're like hitting the... I'm like, I could talk to you forever. And I know that you have to be done at two o'clock. So I'm like, I'm going to close this up. But I'm so, so thankful for you. And thank you for being here. Thank so. you so much. Um, well, the book is actually anywhere that great books are sold. So Amazon is probably the easiest place at the That's, moment. Yeah. Um, Barnes and Noble or anywhere like that. TanaAmon.com is my website, but I'm on Instagram, TanaAmon. So people can follow. And we have a podcast, the Brain Warriors Way podcast. Amazing. Amazing. So, yeah. Thank you again for being here. And I just trust that this is going to serve so, so many people. Oh, I appreciate it. All right. I'm so grateful that you are here with us till the end. Thanks for joining this conversation. And before you go, I just want to offer a few last thoughts. Just as Tana said today, setting aside some time for self-care rituals is an absolute must and a necessity for healing and brain health. Even if you're doing all the nutritional and supplementation protocols suggested by your medical practitioner, 
Your body may not heal as quickly or as strongly if your mind is not in alignment with that state of healing. And so before you go, I'd love to share with you a Hawaiian healing practice and prayer called Ho'oponopono, and it means to make things right. The simple prayer or mantra is, I'm sorry, I love you, please forgive me, thank you. Again, it is, I'm sorry, I love you, please forgive me, thank you. And so by saying and feeling the energy behind these words, we take responsibility for ourselves and the world we create. By clearing ourselves with this love, forgiveness, and gratitude, we clear the experiences of the past, present, and future. And so these words repeated with intention create vibrations that break old patterns of fear and negativity. This prayer is personal and universal. When we get in touch with our deepest feelings of compassion, forgiveness, and gratitude for ourselves, there is great healing. We then have the capacity to love and to heal others. And so it is my hope that as you sit in silence, repeating this mantra to yourself and these kind words, all areas of your life will start to feel like they're being brought back into a state of peace and balance. And so I recommend after this podcast to sit quietly and say this prayer slowly over and over again for about five minutes. Once the five minutes are over, close your meditation by visualizing your body surrounded by golden light and carry this image with you throughout the rest of your day. And so now one last thing before you go, maybe you're struggling to tune out others' opinions and honor your inner guidance. Maybe you need a community that supports you on this journey. If this resonates with you, I invite you to join the awesome Inside Out Facebook group. It's a private, safe space filled with beautiful hearts coming together to encourage and uplift one another. And for everyone who is already part of that group, thank you so much for helping us build such a beautiful community together. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, I recommend listening to my recent podcast episode with Lola Pickett and how you can step into your highest, most aligned self. Also, drop me a message on Instagram if you've been listening to these podcasts and let me know what's been resonating. What do you want to hear more about? How can I support you? And of course, always make sure to tag me on the gram at Sarah Ann Stewart so that I can also retag you and celebrate you and celebrate your wins. And until next time, I'm sending you so much love, a massive virtual hug, and I trust that you're going to have a beautiful, incredible week ahead. All right, that concludes this podcast. It is my honor to always share with you. But hang tight because I have one last thought. You are here right now because you are ready. Because while many of us share the feeling of wanting more, not everyone is willing to do what it takes to get it. But you are here, you are ready. So this is your opportunity now to take what you just learned and implement it. Make a pact with yourself to put just one thing into action. Just one. Write it down, do it, and share it with me. And if you benefit from it, it would mean the world to me if you could please spread this movement and share it with one person who you know would also benefit. We are all in this together, so thank you for being here and part of this movement.